This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of the iFreaks show. This week on our panel, we have Alondo Brewington. Hello from North Carolina. Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about WebRTC. Jane, you seem to be the expert on this. Do you want to kind of explain what WebRTC is and why iOS people should care about it? Yeah, I don't know if expert's quite the right word, but I'm a little bit farther through the jungle. So WebRTC is a peer-to-peer video format. So if you have an application that wants to share video between their users or just streaming from something else, um, the couple apps I've worked on that do it are generally communicating video or audio between two different users. Now, this is WebRTC is something that's either started by Google or right now Google maintains it. So it's in all the Chrome browsers. So, you know, if you're doing a web app, you've got all the stuff in there that you need to do it. If you're doing it for iOS, it's a completely different setup. It's pretty confusing and there aren't a whole lot of resources out there, at least documentation. There's some scattered things and there's some things that are a few years old, but getting started is pretty confusing. But yeah, my understanding of WebRTC is it's not just video, but it's uh, any data can be sent between peers. And essentially what happens is if somebody knows uh, the node that they can talk to to get a list of some of the peers, then they can start talking to those peers and sending them data and receiving data from them as part of the peer-to-peer protocol. True, yes. So you can also do peer-to-peer data transfer. That's also part of it as well. Uh, one of the applications that I see this being used a lot for, though, is the video, and that's what James talking about. So there are a couple of – I went to Podcast Movement in August, July. Anyway, it was it was toward the end of the summer. And uh, there were a couple of companies there that were doing basically peer-to-peer calls, kind of like Google Hangouts. And it would record your, your end of the call on the server. So the server was one of the peers in WebRTC, and then everybody else was also a peer. And so it would send your video to them and to the server, and it would send their video to you and the server. And then you could see and talk to everybody, and then it would upload all of the video and audio files when you were done. So that's just one example of, you know, kind of a real-world thing that people are actually doing with it. And I think Google Hangouts has some, I don't know to what degree, but I know that some of Google Hangouts actually runs over WebRTC. So just to be clear, this is an alter- is this an alternative to um, maybe just using some of the existing like Bluetooth connection or something like that for transferring data from one one peer to another? Is there some distinct advantage with WebRTC? So WebRTC is designed to run over HTTP over the internet, and so it's kind of in that sense, it doesn't have the location restrictions that Bluetooth is going to have. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, WebRTC is definitely much in the Google and Android world. If you have an Android device, you know, it works out of the box, even in the browser. Um, Apple is not exposed that or allowed that to be on mobile Safari at all. So 
we're kind of out of luck. And Apple hasn't really given us any access to any FaceTime functionality, which is their own implementation of similar technology, at least for video and audio sharing or peer-to-peer. So we're kind of in a weird spot, but there are ways to get through it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that with FaceTime, you're limited to devices that support FaceTime, which are usually Apple devices. And it'd be nice to be able to talk to the rest of the world who aren't Apple people. There are other people that aren't Apple people? I know. Unfortunate, (laughs) but true. Weird. Well, it reminds me that when Apple announced FaceTime, they said they were going to release it as an open standard that anyone could implement. And that just sort of silently died. They never did it. Someday. Some dub-dub. All this WebRTC is going to get Sherlocked by the uh, upcoming... FaceTime standard, but we'll see. Wasn't this year. So if I'm going to actually put WebRTC then into an application, what are kind of the steps for that? So there's a number of approaches you can take. You know, from from a very very basic thing, there are browsers you can download and use on iOS that will support this. There's an OPA, the, the Bowser Project, which is done by uh, OpenWebRTC, which is kind of a, oh, is it open source? or an alternative implementation of the WebRTC spec. But they've got a browser. You can download it, and you can do WebRTC things on your iPhone. So if there's a web application that you need WebRTC for, you can just integrate Bowser into what you're doing and go from there. So that's the most basic level thing you can do. So you just download a specific browser that's not mobile Safari that actually supports this. So you can go from there. Uh, If you want to do it yourself, Google has... Their libraries that you can build, and they've got native iOS libraries that you can do. That's tricky, and there are blog posts out there how to avoid wasting 10 hours of your life building WebRTC because <laughs> building complex multi-platform C++ code bases tends to be a little difficult at times. So if you're glutton for punishment, you can actually download the source and run the builds yourself. Luckily, there are people that are also doing things like that. And it's not very obvious because if you search for WebRTC iOS, the links you want to do, actually want to look at if you want to get a native implementation going, are a bit farther down Google. But I would check out the Pristine IO team. They've got pre-built libraries, and they have them for various versions, and that's available by, by, by CocoaPods. And it took me a while to find that because it's not the first thing on, on the Google search. The ones that are above it tend to be outdated. They got it building at one time and moving on to something else while all the specs changes and the apps, the sample apps don't work with the, the main sample app or the main server because there is a main server that you can build an app, get it running, connect to a room and actually verify that it's actually working on your device. But if you go through one of the older builds, they change the server interface so that that no longer works. So I just saved you about four or five hours right there. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, go to Pristine.io, the WebRTC build scripts. If you want to get up and running quickly with CocoaPods, you can just go get in there, put on your pods, and and go from there. That's a simple answer. That's still a a difficult implementation because you have to handle signaling, which we'll probably get into a little bit later, doing all the back and forth. If you want to set up your own application, and there are services that do this for you. You know, if something's hard in the internet, people do it for you and charge you for it. So there's some service, service-based companies that will do similar implementations on, on top of WebRTC. And actually, the first kind of peer-to-peer video app I worked on last year sometime was we just used the OpenTalk library from TalkBox. And that worked pretty well. I had you know peer-to-peer video running on an iOS app in probably 8 to 12 hours. 
you know, fully running. So that that's a good implementation, at least for developers. They want to get things up and running quickly. They tend to charge. So if this is actually a product and you know you don't want to get built for a lot of things, you might want to go the more hands-on way. But OpenTalk is definitely a, a, a solid approach if you don't want to get mired in the weeds of implementing, implementing everything for WebRTC. So I'm curious, before we get too much further into the weeds, what what were you building this for, Jane? I'm not going to get too specific. A previous clients, they were both essentially ways for iOS to communicate with other people, um, video and audio. Mm-hmm. So someone across the world needs some tech support. We would create an app where they could reach the person on their iPad or iPhone, and they could they could talk to each other and manage the process a little bit more than you would with just a FaceTime app. So it's kind of a glorified tech support app. Huh. That's really cool. Yeah, the apps I was talking about in particular are uh, PodClear, which was actually acquired by Blab.im. So I don't know if they're actually doing podcast stuff anymore. The other one was Zencaster, and that's Zencaster with no E before the R in Caster. Okay, I'm not familiar with those. But yeah, essentially they are. They're just video systems. And I know that some of the other video systems out there also use WebRTC for a lot of the stuff that they're doing so it is a standard that's being picked up by more and more people um, definitely it's out there but yeah you really want to have a significant part of your business being dependent on that to get into it because there are a lot of edge cases there's not a lot of help out there on stack overflow um, so there's not a whole lot of people doing this but there are there are not there are some so you can generally find what you need if you dig but you're going to do a lot of digging so what are some of the gotchas that you're going to run into just to get it up and running so one problem I spent almost a week trying to debug, we had a version working that actually worked in an iOS simulator, and it worked when we connected to kind of a test web application that did everything right, uh, you know, the had the, the same JavaScript backend that one of the devices we were going to try and run on was doing. So we had a different version of WebRTC, and they didn't talk to each other, and the connections just silently failed. So you go into a ver- verbose mode, and you dig through just tons and tons of error messages and something was stalling out in like the SSL layer, you know, trying to get a handshake, a DTLS. And this is the type of stuff you're going to have to figure out. And to step back a little bit, this was a problem that only happened with some devices, worked on an iPhone 4S, worked on iOS 8 while iOS 9, did not work on my 5S for whatever reasons, like, oh no, this is a 64-bit thing, possibly. Uh, But turns out the libraries changed their SSL or the yeah the the WebRTC libraries changed their SSL libraries at one point, and they didn't talk to each other, and I had to roll back to a different version, and that was a painful one. Another step, the gotchas are just figuring out how to set up a endpoint. You know, you get you start by opening a session, you make a request, and the libraries will make the request for you. Then you start getting back all these ICE candidates. And I'm not sure what ICE candidates stand for. I'm sure there's Google somewhere. We can look this up. But the ICE candidates, okay, interactive connectivity establishment. Since we're dealing with peer-to-peer connections, mm-hmm. you know, I've got my mobile device in my home connecting to my Wi-Fi. So it's behind a, a NAT. So there's a number of devices that have the same IP address. And someone else might be behind some firewall in a corporation. So kind of getting your ICE candidates, this just spits out a bunch of different ways for the two devices to talk to each other. And you just get out there and if they find one that matches, they try and they pick the best match and they go with that. And if those are accepted, then you have a connection. 
But understanding the whole workflow and getting that set up with your server infrastructure, you're probably not sending an ICE candidate directly to the device because you don't know how to talk to it yet. You've got some other server in the middle that knows how to talk to the device via HTTP or WebSockets are, are pretty standard for WebRTC implementations. Mm-hmm. But you have, to, you have to walk through that whole process, sending the request, getting the ICE candidates, and passing that into your library. And then at that point, if everything's done correctly, they have all the information, then then it works. Then it sets up the connection, and you can actually start receiving video from it. So basically, you send the ICE, ICE candidates. candidate, and then it actually can uh, establishes a connection, and then you can start sending the data back and forth between the, the peers within the, the system that you're talking in. Right. You would add a, you know, image source, a video, a camera, mm-hmm. add it to it. And from there, the library just takes it and sends the frames. And you don't have to do much at that point. So does it support multiple peers? And is this a situation where I can I can have so this is more than just the bi-directional communication, right? I can have multiple peers. And when you're talking about setting up those ice candidates, I, I'm imagining that that's that can be a more difficult process if you if you're trying to get multiple connections established. Right. Yeah. I mean, the ice candidates themselves are created by the library and you just send them off to wherever they need to be sent. So you'll send it to your main server. And yeah, you can establish any number of connections that you need to. I think Chuck was talking about an application earlier where you had a bunch of different people you could be connecting to or receiving data from. So you're not limited by how many connections you can, you have. Yep. And that, that, uh, sometimes you, you don't need a server in the middle, but a lot of times there's a server in the middle that will broker a lot of that. So it'll actually say when you connect, it'll first establish the connection to that server. And then from that server, the server will tell it, you also need to broker connections with these other members of the peer to peer network. And that way all the data gets sent to the right people who have an established connection. Yeah. And you can yeah. do this also, you can set it up so that it's one way. In other words, only one person's cameras and microphones are enabled. Or you can set it up so that everybody who hops on it, it prompts them to enable a camera and or microphone or both. And you, you can kind of get things going that way. One example that I saw, and I put a link to this in the show notes, it was a talk from JS Remote Comp this last year. The speaker, I think his name was Thomas. He actually showed us he had like two computers and his phone or something, and they were all connected via WebRTC. And then he had that up on a on a web page where it was displaying that that he had shared with the crowd over the screen share that he had that he was giving his talk on. And so it really is interesting. You can add as many nodes to this peer-to-peer network as you want and do some really, really interesting things with it. One other example that I've seen with this, and we talked with Faras uh, Abukadija on JavaScript Jabber about WebTorrent, and this is another way that uh, WebRTC is being used, where instead of sending actual video packets or audio packets, it's sending chunks of files, and it basically mimics the BitTorrent protocol. That's interesting. And so there, there really are a lot of things that you can do with this, uh, one other thing that I see with this, though, is that since there doesn't need to be a centralized server or the centralized server may only be used to establish communication and then everything else may happen away from it as more peers are added to the to the group, is that this could be used for different types of anonymous communication where there's no centralized place where you can sniff and know that people are on Skype or on, you know, some other chat service or something because there's no centralized server for it. I'm wondering, Jane, do you know if there's a way to capture the data that's coming your way? In other words, it strings it back together as a video, but is there a way to record that? 
There is. It's a bit tricky, and there's really no good examples out there. So you, there's no CocoaPod for this. And if you go to Stack Overflow, you might have some half-baked implementation you can look at. But you can add a different renderer to the stream oh, that will okay. just get the frame data. And you from there, you can actually take the actual literal frame data, which is bit by bit. I'm actually going through this. I'm trying to take a image capture of one of the frames is my what I'm currently working on. And there's no real direct way to do it other than just kind of brute force, getting the bits out, putting into a UI image, and, and saving it. Now, if I were going to use WebRTC to provide not only video and audio, but also text chat, would I have to establish multiple connections? Or can I send all of that data over the same RTC connection? So for the same session, you can have different, you can have audio, data, and video all together. Mm-hmm. They're different connections, and you'll receive a callback from okay. the library saying you've opened a data channel, and you can send things back and forth. Now, when I created, because I, I had wired up the, the video layer first, and when I got time to actually start doing data stuff, it, it was already, the connection was already there, it was wired up, I could just send stuff to it, and it just worked without having to do anything else. So for that case, it's pretty simple, but... So you can have multiple channels on the same connection, one's video, one's audio, one's file transfer, one's whatever else? Right. You have complete control. You know, audio is set over separately from video, different, just different connections. Hmm. That's pretty neat. But I haven't gotten into real heavy data communication. Nope. 90% of what we're doing is just letting people talk to each other. Right. And have some, in a small set of sending some commands, so I... I haven't gotten into real complex data interaction. Are there any challenges in sort of handling multiple people sending audio data at the same time? And is there an attempt to manage that? Or is it just you get all the, you just get all the communication and you have to meet yourself or whatever within the tool? I haven't gotten to that. I'm not, not sure. Like if you had one person very loud and one person very quiet, how do you reconcile them or give the user the ability to turn up and turn it down? I'm going to hope it's possible. I haven't looked closely enough into at least the iOS systems to see how it's added or how you can modify it. Yeah, I, I would guess that you can probably pull in different audio streams and then just play them all on top of each other. So if two people are talking at the same time, it would just play them both over each other. And then with your renderer, you should be able to add filters like a volume filter that allows you to turn the volume up or down. I'm curious to know if how you deal with problems like network connection errors, network connections that are too slow or that drop, or packets that are lost. How how does that get handled? So for things like packets being lost, that's all handled by the system. With WebRTC, they're probably doing TCP/IP under the hood, so that's all done. And if you lose packets for a second, you just lose them; they get dropped. So there there's some failure that can happen on on bad connections. As far as when things disconnect. You know, you, you just get a notice from the system that the session has ended, we couldn't do anything, and you're kind of out of luck at that point. You know, doing things that degrade gracefully, I don't know how much support you get out of the box with WebRTC. Uh, if you use something like OpenTalk, they've done quite a bit of this to, you know, degrade the image quality, uh, degrade the audio. If you're on a bad connection and you can't get all the audio through, they'll shut down the video and just do audio just to get something going through. And I'm not sure how much support you get out of the box with WebRTC. I think you have to do a lot of customization to get kind of graceful fallback. Does that make it difficult to debug because you don't know necessarily if your problem is on the network or on the peer or on your own device? Or is that pretty easy to identify? Well, of course, we're testing a, on a Wi-Fi and all the other devices we're testing on are also on a Wi-Fi. So it's there's never any of those problems. I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, the same type of thing you get with any connection. You know, you might have someone on a flaky connection. And I haven't tested the case where you're talking in your Wi-Fi and you walk outside and you switch to the cellular network. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that works and what's the best way to handle that. But it's it's all kind of it's kind of open. So you just you do your best to simulate bad things happening. Most of us don't have an anechoic chamber that blocks all those signals in their house. I I don't <laughs> either. I'm having one installed next week. That's right. I wish. You just do the best you can. Yep. The other question I have is encryption. So since this is all peer-to-peer and, you know, the data packets are probably pretty straightforward as far as this is video, this is audio. If I don't want the NSA pulling up outside my house and pointing an antenna at my house and sniffing the traffic going across the air or the wire, what do I do? So I believe all the communication from WebRTC is is done through secure sockets. Uh-huh. I hope so. I, I don't I don't know for sure, but there's there's quite a bit of having dug through all the log files, there's quite a bit of SSL handshaking going on. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you have to establish those certificates or is the handshake just part of the protocol and the certificates generated on the fly? I don't know offhand. I haven't had to do any manual creation of certificates. Whatever head of my device talked to whatever the other devices were and they figured they were both good. So they were able to establish a connection they, that the SSL library trusted. But if you're looking to get started with WebRTC, the easiest thing to do is to go to CocoaPods, get the pristine IO CocoaPod, download it. And from there, within the WebRTC source code, the one that there is a sample app that you can just run and it'll run on your device pretty quickly. And it will give you the option to put in a room number. And there's a, there's a main test application you go out there and you can go to your browser and create a room and just enter it in and... That's how you can see how the signaling works from the application. So you can actually connect it from your device to your your browser. And most of the things I'm talking about, you know, creating a session, dealing with the ICE candidates, sending them to the server, you can see how that works. And probably most of the WebRTC code bases started from that sample app, just started modifying things. So like whenever I see a code sample in, in Stack Overflow, it's it's always pretty clear it came from that that sample app. All right. Sounds good. Any other questions or thoughts about WebRTC? I'm curious to know what some alternatives are or if there are alternatives to WebRTC. What other technologies are out there for accomplishing some of these same things? I'm not sure about standards. There are a number of libraries that do more server-based communication between two different peers. Like your peer talks to the server, which talks to something else. So all the traffic goes through there. So standard which, IM or standard VoIP? Yeah, something like that. And there's a number of companies providing libraries for that. I don't have any names offhand. But for peer-to-peer communication, WebRTC, I think, is becoming pretty standard. It's, it's not as common in the iOS world because it's the support is just not as strong as it is in the Google and Android world. But it, it's possible. But I mean, one thing you want to consider if you're looking at this and thinking this might be the right fit for your application is, you know, which library do you use? Um, you probably want to use either the the standard Google libraries, um, however they're built, either if it's through Prestine.io or you build it on your own. If you want full control over what's happening and where the data goes and where it's stored and who you have to pay to use it, that's good. Uh, if you want something simple, I mean, there's OpenTalk which makes it very simple to set it up and they handle a lot of the edge cases for you. And they're not cheap. So you have to kind of think of what your company does. Does it just need some kind of video and you'll work with it? Or do you want to invent your own custom solution? And if you do your own custom solution, then you might be looking at the building out the native libraries. But definitely look at the hosted solutions or the service solutions first, if you can get away with it. All right, cool. 
You could also use the dog barking network from 101 Dalmatians. That's right. Fortunately, I can't mute and talk at the same time. Well, you can, but it's less effective. <laughs> you just have to mute the dog. <laughs> Did you get that? I, I muted and talked at the same time. Did that work? <laughs> Probably not as no, well as I, you hoped. And I, still, and I still heard the dog, so he can even get through your mute. Man. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and do picks then. Andrew, do you want to start us off? Sure. I've got, I'm going to call it one and a half picks today. My first pick is a, is a library called Observable Swift. And this library is sort of an implementation. Well, it is an implementation of the same sort of um, idea as key value observing, except that it's done in pure Swift. So it makes it so you can one object can observe changes to properties on another object. And you can use KVO from Swift, but it's a little bit gross, partly because it's a, really an Objective C API and partly because KVO's API has some rough edges anyway, and etc. Along those same lines, I actually gave a presentation at our local Cocoa Heads last night about this whole topic of KVO and Swift and related observer techniques in Swift. And so, or I kind of talked about some of these in my slides and some playgrounds that sort of show uh, really simple techniques for dealing with this issue in Swift are up on GitHub. So that'll be my 0.5 part of my picks. Those are my picks. Awesome. Alondo, what are your picks? I have only one pick this week, and it is for uh, Karma, which is a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, I actually met some people on the Karma team, I think it was two years ago at Altcom, and I got my hands on the device, and I've been using it for months now, and I like it because it's it has a sort of pay-as-you-go or um, a la carte plan where you can keep all of the bandwidth that you purchase so that I don't have to worry about losing it month to month. And when I'm traveling uh, across the country, um, I tend to, you know, have to use a, a separate Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, the nice thing about Karma, though, is if people jump on, you actually get onto your Wi-Fi. You actually get a little extra bandwidth available to you in your in your bank. Um, and it's, you know, it's basically Karma, I guess, is you're sharing that network. And, of course, it's great advertising for them. But um, it's really useful. And it's allowed me to sort of downsize my carrier data plan. Uh, because that doesn't carry over. And it's been pretty useful. And, and no matter where I've been around the country so far, it's been a really good connection. So that is my pick for the week. All right, James, what are your picks? I'm going to do one pick today. So I, over the past few months, I've pretty much weaned myself off caffeine. I was a daily coffee drinker for years and years, almost since I was 15. And, you know, I want something to drink in the morning, something hot. And, you know, a lot of the herbal teas are, are fine. Decaf coffee is kind of gross. You know, I'm not, I'm not against coffee. I'll have it every once in a while. But, you know, the thing with caffeine is like it doesn't doesn't give you energy. It just borrows it from the future. So um, I'm liking having a little bit more energy later on in the day when I also need it. But um, for drinking, having something to drink in the, in the morning, which has a little bit of caffeine, um, it has nothing, but actually has nice hearty flavor. It's a Kuchika tea, which is a twig tea. So they, they boil twigs somehow. And I get it from a company called Eden and it just comes in tea bags. But it's kind of a nice hearty tea that, that doesn't have a lot of caffeine. So it doesn't get me all bounced up. So I'm going to make a, I, I get it from Eden. So I'm going to make a pick for organic Kuchika tea. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks. The first one is I'm actually going to pick something that I'm trying out for the shows. And uh, so far it's been pretty well since I've kind of passed along uh, the word to a few people who listen to the show. And that is I've set up a GitHub repository for people who want to suggest topics for the iFreak show. Uh, you can get to it at github.com slash devchattv. There's no dot in the devchattv uh, slash iFreaks topics. And that's all one word all run together. 
And then there's just a link there that says add topic, I think, or suggest a topic. And then um, you can also click read topics. Uh, they're just GitHub issues. There's nothing fancy going on there. Uh, but then you can actually put in a plus one for the topics that you want to hear from, hear about, and things like that. Uh, you can suggest people to talk about those topics, or you can just suggest people we should get on the show. Anything like that would be awesome. So uh, I'm going to pick that. The other thing that I'm going to pick... Uh, so Chuck, do we have a style guide for the pull request for this? It's not a pull request. It's just GitHub issues. Come on. And no, there's no style guide. This. There's no style guide. <laughs> yeah. Just do whatever cow- you want. Just cowboy code it. That's right. Requests. All right, fine. And then the other day I was chatting with one of my friends, and uh, we're both Doctor Who fans, and he had just gotten his sonic screwdriver. And so since I had it out and I was playing with it the other day, I thought I'd pick it. I got it on ThinkGeek. Uh, mine is the 11th Doctor's. It's Matt Smith's. Uh, you might be able to hear me playing with it here. <laughs> Indeed. But, but yeah, so it's it's got like three buttons that will turn it on and make different noises with it. Anyway, and then it, uh, Doctor, the this one has the little grabber thing that comes out on it, and so um, it has a little button that makes it come up, and then you can still. It doesn't turn on though when it's up by one of the buttons, just the other. But yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I I really have been enjoying it. So anyway, so yeah, so I'm just gonna pick uh, Geek Toys and uh, Think Geek and this particular Sonic screwdriver. I also got a Sonic Spork <laughs> from uh, Loot Crate, um, and it looks like the same Sonic screwdriver I have, except it has a spork on the end of it, so I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, so there there I am geeking out about dumb little toys, but there you go. Well, I don't think there's anything else to announce or talk about, so we'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll catch everyone next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreaksShow.com slash forum. 